All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got an NIA boys here, Trunk fan, me, Master Flex himself, and Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, and the sickest merch, Biology was right hoodie on today, looking clean, Jack. And I am Bilal Zaidi, uh, host of Creator Lab, and obviously NIA co-host as well. So, boys, we've got a big one this week. It is May the 4th when this comes out tomorrow morning. And uh, we all know what that is for Star Wars. So our boy Trung is going to do a special breakdown of George Lucas and uh, the amazing work they did on Star Wars. We're going to break that down. We've got a meme of the week coming in a second. Wait, hold on. Namely, we're breaking down how he gave up 150K to make the movie and it ended up being worth $10 billion. So one of the the greatest... Greatest deals in movie Hollywood history. And we're going to maybe we'll hear a little bit about Trung's movie history as well. My own segment. jersey, my <laughs> own journey with the film that will not be worth $10 billion. Exactly. All right. So, and then just to let people know what's coming down later as well, we've got a couple other oh, yeah. segments on. Uh, if you guys remember Obama O's, the cereal that the Airbnb founders launched originally to fund a part of their company, we're going to talk about that as it applies to NFTs and what that would be like if they had launched an NFT project instead. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about Yuga Labs and this ApeCoin stuff that has been going on. It's been, uh, there's been quite a lot to follow there. Jack's gonna break that down for us. And then Trung's got a special um, exclusive on his writing in Bloomberg. We're gonna talk about methane and crypto, whatever that is, so. Bitcoin, get- so natural gas, natural gas flaring is an off-put uh, a byproduct of the oil and gas industry, but Bitcoin, the mining of it, has found a way potentially to offset this very dangerous there we climate go. situation. There we go. But to kick it off, as always, we've got a meme in a week, and there's only one place to start. Trung, you want to take it away for us, mate? Yeah. So, for the listeners and viewers, and uh, I just found out that Jack Butcher has never seen Star Wars. So now I'm assuming that there's a percentage of our listeners that has never seen Star Wars, which is one of the most iconic movies of the last 50 years, uh, arguably top 10. Um, But every May the 4th, which it is today, uh, the tagline, our famous line from the movie Star Wars was, of course, may the force be with you. So a bunch of these geeky fans, myself included, we lose our minds when May the 4th comes out because, you know, May the 4th, it's a pun, whatever. But uh, Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, uh, is teeing up May the 4th. So in the lead up to May the 4th, he starts tweeting out May the 1st. So this one, he says, may the 1st not be the worst with you. It looks like a scene here uh, where he pokes his eye out with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, legendary actor Alec Guinness. So there we are. But before we get into how George Lucas uh, turned down a $500,000 contract, he accepted a $350,000 contract. So that's $150,000 uh, pay cut to make Star Wars, but in the future that ended up being worth ten billion because of certain merchandising and sequel rights. Before we get into that, Jack Butcher, explain yourself. How have you never seen Star Wars? I watched Episode One in the cinema. I think when I was uh, when did that come out? Early two thousand. Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Oh, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. So I'd have been eleven for that. Didn't hook me, mate. So I didn't go and explore the rest of the franchise. Well, you do know that episode one was actually the fourth film in the series, of course, right? I do know it was out of order, but I could not tell you <laughs> how many it was out of order. Yeah. That's surprising because Jack, as we, one thing I know about Jack is Jack loves the franchise, whereas Domino's, <laughs> Costco, 
uh, Orange County, the whole region is basically yeah. a franchise. <laughs> Wait, not only does Jack Butcher like a franchise, he is a narrative storyteller. And Star Wars, which came out in 1977, arguably is the most influential Hollywood movie in terms of storytelling because George Lucas integrated the hero's journey into that film. And essentially every 90, oh, I will say, I'll give it, a majority of films since has adopted this hero's journey, uh, which was by Joseph Campbell. Uh, the, 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 uh, the TLDR being that most mythological stories and stories for thousands of years, they follow this journey. I know Bilal Zaini knows it because as an advertiser, Bilal wanted to put the, the consumer in a journey, right? Bilal, is this correct? You're well yeah, aware we of the talked about journey. it in the charity episode, I think, because yeah. we were talking about one of the things that I didn't understand was the guide because there's a, a part of the hero's journey which is about the guide. Often you think, um, sorry, wait, I'm getting confused. Not guide. There's the hero of the journey is not yes. necessarily just that one character, though often it could be. But in the in the in the charity example that we talked about many episodes ago, the the main character essentially there is the donor, the person who's going to become the hero, exactly. and you're the guide, the organization in this case, and you're inviting them to be that person so nike you could say they're the guide for you to be the hero in your own story yes you're gonna run the marathon your fitness, you're gonna... your fitness journey exactly exactly so yeah that is a very interesting idea do, do you i don't know it sounds very um academic but like you're obviously a great writer in what you're doing both oh of you. i'm gonna break down something... the hero's journey today boys go, all right all right <laughs> <laughs> let's get straight into it then go on trunk let's okay. uh talk about george lucas high okay. level you already teed it up Okay, so let's go to 1967. George Lucas has graduated from University of Southern California. He has a film degree. He starts a production company with a gentleman by the name of Francis Ford Coppola. He made a couple of movies called The Godfathers. Have we seen The Fucking Godfather? Can you guys give me that? Okay, yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus okay. Christmas. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys, uh, they set up shop in San Francisco. They didn't want to do it in Hollywood. They're trying to get away from the traditional studio system. And actually in the late 60s, Hollywood is in decline. There's a lot of thought that the entire industry was going to go the way of the doo-doo. Uh, which is kind of crazy to think about, right? Like a cultural hegemony of Hollywood in the last 50 years. So in 1971, Lucas releases a film. It's based on his student work. It's called THX uh, 1138. It's about robots, you know, similar to these sci-fi themes that he later explores with Star Wars. Yeah, not a really big hit. Kind of a small potatoes thing. But here's the kicker. That's 1971. One year later, Francis Ford Coppola releases The Godfather. And The Godfather, ka-ching, Brings like in boss. the money. Yeah. So American Zotrop, the production studio, is awash with money now. And uh, Coppola goes to Lucas. He's like, dude, I know you got all these things you want to make. Let's start making them. So George Lucas has two ideas. He wants to make one movie called American Graffiti. And the other movie he wants to make, it's not a movie. It's a nine-part story of which Jack Butcher watched part four out of order. <laughs> and uh, the actually part one, but it was out of order. There's a nine-part story that was a space opera. The problem is in the early 1970s, this is way before Marvel, motherfuckers were not making sequels and cinematic universes. So everybody thought this dude was out of his rocker. So Francis Ford Coppola's like, go ahead, make American Graffiti. American Graffiti is about George Lucas's childhood growing up in California. The movie 
uh, he got paid 150k to make it, uh, and uh, the film actually crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. It made 140 million dollars or 780 thousand dollar budget, and it starred uh, or had a, a small part for an individual by the name of Harrison Ford, who would later play an iconic character in Star Wars. So. Let's go to the Star Wars story. This is where it officially starts. So George Lucas just notches a huge win. George Lucas, Jack just told me I'm too loud, so I, I moved the mic. Okay, listeners, apologies. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not too loud. You're getting, there's some breath work coming through there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep this part in so people yeah. know. Because <laughs> yeah. Jack, well, the thing is, like, for the listeners, these guys can tell how excited <laughs> I'm getting as I'm walking through this story. All right. So the boy... George Lucas, who is now a man because he got 144 mil on a $70,000 budget. He got he's, that Elon money at this yeah, point. He's, got he's the ready Elon to whip money it now. out on the table. His boy Let's just go. did Godfather 1. He just did American Graffiti. A year later, his boy does Godfather 2. These guys are rocking and rolling right now. So George Lucas goes to the studio, goes to Fox, and goes, listen, guys, I'm making this nine-part space epic that Jack Butcher will one day watch. And then they get it to the studio and the guy's like, yeah, you know, this is a little bit extreme. Uh, a lot of the uh, space uh, type of content in the past, the comic books primarily, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, kind of campy, right? A little bit, a little bit corny. I don't know if you guys remember Flash Gordon. You guys remember Flash Gordon? I just know the name. Yeah, I, I don't know much about it. Corny AF. Like pants over the trousers sort of vibe, <laughs> yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he goes in for this nine film epic and they're like, they laughed him out. They're like, this is insane. It's like, we will pay you 500K. Just, just make the one movie. Okay. Just do one space Western. He's like, no, no, no. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will take $150,000. So it wasn't, he didn't take a $150,000 pay cut. He took a $350,000 pay cut. 70% so wait, Trump, they cut. offered him 500K, but he to took 150 one to get more on the back end, I guess. No, to do this. He's like, I yeah. want sequel rights. I want to own the rights to the sequels. And they laughed. They're like, you will never make a sequel to this movie. Because That's back then, people didn't really do sequels, you're saying. Exactly. Like much. Godfather 2 came out, but, yeah. but that was a rarity, right? So he gives up $350,000. Takes a massive pay cut to do this movie. Sure enough, his instincts were correct. The Star Wars comes out, makes $775 million on an $11 million budget. So now he really is richer than Elon Musk. <laughs> but this is the kicker. Fox still had the toy rights, the merchandising rights. So we're going to talk about this in the future when it comes to the Obama. So they had the merchandising rights and they sold $100 million worth of toys in 1977. So a little bit of a, a competition is arising here. So George Lucas has the sequel rights to the film. Fox has the toy rights. Money is to be made. But those toy rights are useless with Fox if Lucas doesn't keep making movies. So Lucas really puts his balls on the table now. He goes into Fox and says, this is the deal, boys. I want the merchandising rights, including television and music, toys. Here's a, here's a trader. I will make another movie for you guys. I will make Empire Strikes Back. I will personally finance it myself. You guys get to distribute it. So 
basically he's saying you get something instead of nothing if I don't do anything. So they gave him the merchandising rights. And remember, this all began because he took the sequel rights on a $350,000 pay cut, a 70% pay cut. And then I'll kind of rip through what's happened since. Um, it's been frankly insane. We'll do a quick screen share, but um, we'll just look at the, the numericals. So here for the listeners, we're looking at how much money the Star Wars movies have made. They've made a combined $4 billion, $4.3 billion on a uh, $400 million uh, budget, so 10x. Uh, the movie that Jack saw, The Phantom Menace, actually uh, is the only movie to cross a billion. There's a lot of hype around that movie, even though it sucked massive balls to Jack's credit. That was not a good film. So uh, fair enough. But here we go. So by 2005, now there have been six movies. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clone, and Revenge of the Sith. But here is the genius of George Lucas. So he had the merchandising and sequel rights. The box office combined for Star Wars was $4 billion for those six films. But how much money did he make from the merch? $12 billion on toys, $4 billion on DVDs and movies, a uh, uh, video cassette, three billion on games, two billions on comic books. So in total, he made twenty-one billion dollars in merch. Jack, you do merch game. Let me ask you a question, Jack. Merch versus the original product. What is a good split on that? I would. Uh, <clears throat> I don't. I just think this industry is so different because the the merch possibilities are so insanely wide-reaching, and I wonder how much this breaks the mold. I would think 50-50 would be like off the charts. Okay. Good, so like, but... it's 50-50 and this is 80-20, 80% merch. Yeah. I, I'm, and that's a number I'm completely pulling out my ass. But the <laughs> idea that like you would, you would build a product and then like the, the byproduct of the product is bigger than the product is something quite special, right? That sounds like a visualized value yeah, yeah, yeah. NFT in the making there, mate. Yeah. The, the, the byproduct <laughs> of I'm the seeing byproduct. like a squared sign, but yeah, like yeah. the squared sign the is meme, bigger. Man. He made a meme, right? And he, he made ever, a meme. He exactly. atomized, atomized the meme with merch. Well, part of the reason he made the meme, and we, we, we mentioned it briefly, was the hero's journey. So the original idea was a very campy space western, is how he kind of described it, a space opera. And then he read Joseph Campbell's A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Uh, we don't need to actually go bit by bit through the hero's journey, but that instinct, right? That's perfect for a hero, a superhero type of situation. You're in an ordinary world. So in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker was living on his uncle's farm, right? And then one day he gets a call to action. It's CP3, uh, it's a R2-D2 showing this video of Princess Leia being captured. And she's asking, can you, can someone rescue me? And then the inciting incident is his uncle and aunt get killed by the empire. And now he goes on this fucking adventure. Now he goes from the ordinary world to the extraordinary world. And that's how the whole thing goes full loop. So yeah, the hero's journey, exactly. Uh, so there, I mean, we could talk right there is like a call to adventure is right there. Is that that's R2D2? Actually, blah. Let me let me fire through this quickly. I, I won't waste too much of our time. But I have all the screens here. Yeah. Sorry, boys. I'm ruining the movie for Jack, but I'm sure he won't mind unless you do mind. <laughs> so uh, oh, this will do for me, mate. Just tell me. I won't have to okay, watch I'll it tell now. you. All right. So uh, you've seen The Matrix, right? So this, so when people ask me about filmmaking, 
first of all, don't ask me. I'm a complete amateur. But second of all, if you are going to ask me, I always say, if you want to learn the hero's journey, look at Star Wars and the Matrix. Because those two, the Matrix basically aped Star Wars, which aped the hero's journey. So you guys remember this, right? Remember Neo? He starts. So for the listeners, I'm just showing the screenshots of like each part of the journey. But like Neo starts in the office. You guys remember that, right? He's a corporate worker. That's, That's ordinary the- world. All right. Exactly. Got it. And then you guys will remember this. So this is Luke Skywalker getting the R2-D2 message. And then you guys remember when Neo gets to follow the white rabbit, right? That's the call to adventure. But here's the key. There's a refusal because you have to show that the character is hesitant. So Luke actually tells Obi-Wan he doesn't want to go. And you guys remember Neo, right? He climbs out the building. They told him to escape and he doesn't. So this is the key. You meet your mentor. Luke meets Obi-Wan. And who does Neo meet? Morpheus, of course. And then uh, crossing the threshold is taking the red pill. In Star Wars, that's when they go to this very dangerous uh, kind of town that's known as Moist Isley. And then uh, I'll just keep firing two. But the next part everybody's familiar with is once you enter this other world, you start meeting your enemies and your friends. The enemies in Star Wars are obviously the stormtroopers, the friends, uh, and Darth Vader. The friends were Chewbacca and Han Solo. So Harrison Ford from American Graffiti. And then same with Neo. He meets a bunch of people. But yeah, anyways, you fast forward through but uh, this is actually my favorite is when you seize the sword. So when you seize the sword is you've gone to the extraordinary world and you take the power that the extraordinary world gives. It's like and in a game when you beat the big boss, right? Is that a similar well, thing? Yeah, on- exactly. You have the, you, 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 exact, you, you bring the power to bear that you've, you've come from your adventure. So in Star Wars, they seize the sword as the plans for the Death Star. And then in Neo is he finally realizes he can take on uh, uh, Agent Smith. And then the, the ending is beautiful, boys. This is going to make me cry. The climax is when <laughs> you use the weapon to prevail. So Neo obviously stops the bullets. And look at this. They actually do the same thing. So Luke here closes his eyes and shoots. Neo kind of closes at the bullets and just puts his hands out. And the end is amazing. You return with the elixir, but that means you bring your ability back to the world. So Neo famously flies away at the end of the Matrix to signify that he's the, the one. But anyways, that's a hero's journey in a nutshell. And go, the, the reason I bring that up, well, first of all, when it's told that way, does that, I mean, I know you guys probably knew the hero's journey, but when you look at it like that, what do you guys think? I think to me that maybe I'm overthinking. That one with the Matrix one explained it much better for me because I know Matrix way better than I know Star Wars, but I've heard people explain it with like Finding Nemo even. Like yeah. there's so many of these where they have the same sort of stuff. What about you, Jack? Yeah, that's the formula, isn't it, boys? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, you can a- hyperanalyze every single Jack tweet, and it has a, a part of the hero's journey in there as well. Hero's Whoa. journey is one of the original build once, sell twice ideas. Say more. You, know? you when well, you did you, it like you're a fitting, guy. You're fitting a narrative to a template that you know works to some degree, right? It's like I'm sure film school is uh, having you plot the story that you want to tell around that circle seems um, yeah. Like, you know, if you watch a film in the cinema, you rarely do you walk out with like a, or we watch a film anywhere. Rarely is like, did that break the mold of things that you expected to happen? Right. Like it it becomes, it it becomes like a, and I think the better the film, the closer it gets to making you think that, 
that they're going to break the template, but they, they but, rarely ever do. Yeah, yeah, but they just did it so perfectly that you just were lost in in how good it was, not actually seeing the format. Yeah. You actually know who does it very well yeah, is uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan. There's a YouTube video oh, that really? I'll link to, but he oh the last scene of every one of his most popular flicks, Inception, uh, um, Dunkirk, the Batman movies, he doesn't give you closure like you do in the hero's journey. He's not giving you the image of Neil flying away. He gives you a very like, what the F is going on closure, the non-closure. Mm. Trung, now that we've finally brought this up, because I know in episode zero to episode 10, we had many requests from people to hear some stories about your um, script writing, because you sold a comedy film or comedy script to Fox, I believe. That used to be in your Twitter bio. I don't know if it still is. So just since we're talking about it, could you take us back to that moment and tell us some wild stuff that happened? Because I know the people that were buying it from you said some ridiculous stuff. So I will, I'll, I'll make, uh, my first point will be this, correct? <laughs> they did say really clear stuff. My second thing I'll bring up is we just filmed two episodes of a television show about the making of that script and my time living in Vietnam. It is currently being shot by CAA right now. So the reason I bring that up is we're going to have to have a full episode on that, boys. Oh, no way. the wheels are moving. The wheels of time are moving. Wait, um, you just recorded this. They are in Vietnam right now, a full film screw with the Hollywood team. They just filmed two episodes of a TV show I co-created and wrote. That's so, wild. So it's getting That's crazy. Sick. Okay, Not a done sick. deal yet. We're going to package and see if we can sell those two shows, episodes and, and finish the rest of the show. Um, that covered my time writing this script. The, the, the R, me and my co-writers writing about the movie that you mentioned. It's called The Lose. Is originally called White People in Asia. Uh, <laughs> 90% of the original script would have gotten me canceled. So uh, we had to rewrite it quite a bit. But the one thing I will mention is uh, George Lucas getting roasted by producers for his content. Um, we were told by producers on our first script that there were not enough monkeys in the film uh, because it was set in Southeast Asia. And the irony is that the individual that said that has certainly never been to Southeast Asia. I can tell you right now, there are not a lot of monkeys in Vietnam. Uh, but the thing is, we set the movie actually in Laos. So the, a country neighboring Vietnam, much smaller country. Uh, the reason we set the movie in Laos is because I, I one day want to return to Vietnam. And we so badly skewer the country of Laos in the script that I'm like, you know what, let's just... Let's call it Laos so I can still go back to Vietnam. Maybe never go back to Laos anymore. But uh, we'll, we can talk about it more once that gets wrapped up. I'll just wrap got up it, the rest of it. this story. We've got two more points. Gone. So remember, it's a nine-part space epic. We just discussed the six films making $4 billion. Um, so George Lucas now, it's the late 2000s, 2009-2010. He wants to make the other three films. He wants to complete his space epic. But he's 70 years old. He's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It'll take me a decade to do it. So he sells to a little studio called Disney. Lucas Films, he sells it for $4 billion in 2012. The deal is for 50% cash, 50% stock. He received about 2% of Disney at the time. He's the second biggest shareholder after Stephen Jobs. And uh, actually, 2012 Jobs had passed away in 2011. His wife, his widow, Lorene Powell Jobs, was the biggest single 
shareholder of Disney. She had 4% of Disney. So George Lucas was second. So he had 2% of Disney. And if you take that stake today, if he hasn't sold, which to my knowledge, he has not, it's worth about $6 billion. So he, 6 billion of Disney, 4 billion uh, when Disney bought it, that's 10 billion total. And uh, including all the money he made during the merch. So he made $10 billion from the 350K he gave up. So there is the George Lucas story, boys. Well, Thank you for listening. For your TED talk. No, thanks, Trung. That was a sick breakdown. Um, Matt, what, what a legend, man. So this is basically the most successful deal in Hollywood, Hollywood history, deal. right? Most successful. There are a couple other great ones. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger... Would okay? Let me ask you guys. What do you think movie he made the most money on? Just guess. Give me one guess, but I'll give one best uh, one guess. Well, check. I think I would automatically think Terminator, but because the way you asked it, it's yeah. going to be one of those weird ones, like the one with him and the mini dude. What was that called? Or like uh, I, I forgot what it's called, but okay. I, I think I've Jack? heard this before. Go I was going to say, uh, is Kindergarten Cop one it of his? Balogie <laughs> yeah. got it, boy. It's twins. Twins, Arnold twins. That's it. So I'll tell you what happened. They That's took crazy. zero salary, zero, because Arnold wanted to do a comedy. Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he transitioned from bodybuilder to actor, and remember, he was a millionaire before he became a bodybuilder or, or during it. He was a millionaire real estate so, owner. Was it real estate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. here, I'll, I'll give it quickly, and then we can move on to the next thing. But Arnold wanted to do comedy, and everybody's like, F off. Like uh, the kindergarten cop was one of the films he ultimately did, but they're like, the studio's like, there's no chance we're letting you do a comedy, right? He's like, no, every movie I do has to open up the audience. That was his strategy. Say so every movie I do has to be a little bit different. So he goes to the studio. I'll make twins with Danny DeVito and the director. Oh, fuck, I forgot the director's name. Uh, that's the him. mini dude that yeah. I referred to. Right? That, that mini dude, they made twins. It took 0%, but they took 40% of the back end. 40 it's the most movies ever, most money's ever made on a movie. But yeah, that's yeah. mad. But this George Lucas deal, not even close. It's just ten bill basically after giving up three hundred fifty k. So I'm Ivan done. Reitman was the director yeah. of that. He just passed away. All right, uh, rest in peace. Yeah, killing it. Oh my it. god! Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for the fun fact, fan trunk. Definitely uh, a special day for it. So uh, let us know what you think of that one. Let's move on to. The next topic we have here, boys, this is more of a philosophical discussion as we like to do here. I'm just going to pull up this tweet here, which is going to seed the conversation. So I'm just going to read it out for people who aren't seeing the screen. Um, it says, Ima uh, imagining an alternative universe where the Airbnb founders Obama owed cereal boxes were an NFT drop that generated $70 million and then Airbnb didn't happen. And the image there for people who aren't aware of this was i don't know the full history but these guys basically when it was still called air bed and breakfast they basically created these um cereal boxes and sold them and they used that to like help fund the company or something along those lines i'm gonna stop sharing but yeah so i guess the the big was there anything else on that story the original story that i've missed out boys from no, what you guys know no i don't know the i don't know what they raised either but it was um they sold them at a conference i believe or like they lived I think they lived in a city on the West Coast and there was... Yeah, a, San Francisco. Yeah, there was a conference happening and they used it as like part promo for the people at the conference and to like raise some money for... Exactly. I can't imagine they raised a, a great deal of money, but it's a great story. But I think I've heard... Um, I think, is it 
like YC, like Y Combinator, some, someone senior there, maybe Paul Graham, had talked about seeing this and it being an indicator of how creative and you yeah, know yeah. the marketing chops they have. And yeah, that story of them starting obviously is is incredible. But yeah, they they at this stage it was still air bed and breakfast. There were literally people sleeping on air mattresses in people's homes. That was you know theirs was the first one, but they needed a way to raise money and raise awareness. And this is I think one of the ways they did it. But to extrapolate this out, the reason we're talking about this is what is going on in the space right now we're going to talk about apecoin and board ape yacht club what's been happening there recently we did a whole episode on decentralized disney in the past which kind of ties in with what we just discussed a little bit before but now we're a little bit further down the line and we're seeing more and more of these big launches and i'll the parallel i think about is the icos in and this might be you know a very blunt comparison but then on the most cynical side, the ICOs in 2017, lots of people had a white paper, they put it out there, they raised a bunch of money, whether that was 70 million or more, and then nothing basically came out of it. And I guess the question I have for you guys is, yeah, what, what do you think would have happened if this was happening today? Um, are the incentives completely screwed up? And you know, Airbnb, for example, I'll just say what I think, if they didn't have that incentive to keep building something and they just made $70 million, what was the point of them keep going you know like an idealistic entrepreneurial type is going to say yeah of course they'll keep doing it because i love making airbnb but in reality we know most people don't actually get to that stage so i'll throw it over to you guys what do you think what do you think it is yeah i think you're right it just flips the incentive almost instantly and the other i think way to think about it or to talk about it is was that vehicle necessary for the creation of the thing if that makes sense like the if the if all the ownership or equity is distributed among this like crowd of people from day 0 day 1 that also like is a different kind of risk or unpredictability that you introduce versus like yc cutting you a check for example right the community that then goes on to evangelize the thing or like help the network effect spread. So I think like initially when I first saw that tweet, it was like genius comparison, but at the same time there's a, or a genius like juxtaposition where you can position something as a way to raise money to build something else. But I think a lot of these NFT projects actually raise the money and then kind of reverse engineer what to build or what to like drip out and continually continually release to keep that momentum going. Like, and the other interesting thing about the NFT market is the, the, the speed of the feedback loops is so aggressive that like moving Airbnb from its first prototype to probably like the V2 you would have lost the interest of every single person participating in a market like NFTs because it's They'll just- They'll be in the Discord being like, right, what is going on with when, my yeah, Airbnb mattress was terrible. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. It's uncomfortable. It deflated overnight. I'm selling my, selling my Airbnb coin. Well, this is why I actually think any NFT project with like a, or any project that utilizes NFTs that has like an attachment to physical reality is- at a enormous disadvantage because the feedback loop is so yeah, much slower. Totally. Like to rule out the products, right? 
Like imagine raising, uh, like we're, I know we're going to talk about uh, this Acoin virtual, virtual land sale, but if you're like, if you sold all that and then you had to go build all that stuff, like you said, it's like people will lose interest or like, oh wait, I don't actually want that anymore. But Jack, you actually sent an amazing uh, thread. Uh, I know we're going to talk about it more, but it, it, it did kind of bring up this idea. It's like, it turns out that pre-launch tokens or like tokenizing things is an extremely costly way to do capital, right? It's like, cause it might not be a financial like debt instrument where you have to pay an interest, but it's sucking time away from your team, right? Like if you sell virtual land, uh, like this thread that you uh, added from uh, Charles V, uh, the E is the number three. So maybe web three, I don't know. Uh, he says it's a truly a costly way to raise capital. You're taking on debt in the form of game design constraints. That's a great point. It's like, you have to build the game a certain way now, right? And then, and you corrupted the relationship with the player. That's really, that's really interesting. It's like, it's not financial immediately apparent, but the cost will come eventually, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think this is also like, uh, when you talk about it hypothetically outside of the rest of the NFT market, the other thing that's, I think, um, become more apparent with time is like capital in that market just concentrates upwards. So because these things are so li- like, I, I want to say so liquid, it's not like, a a lot of fungible token markets, but they like, you know, the cost to move in and out of projects is not, um, is not that significant. So the capital tends to accrue to the, the, the bigger projects over time, right? Like, or there's like a gravitational pull upwards. So those projects, I think have to, um, not even have to, I think those projects like inflate the scope of the things they're building relative to the amount of money they continue to raise, like, like to, you have to kind of keep pace with what the market, uh, I mean, this is a really interesting and like, I think difficult thing to understand is like, it does the marketing or the, the promise of the thing that's being built in the future meet or exceed the current price of the, you know, these assets that are related to it in some way. So that's like a bigger philosophical discussion that I think is like more chicken and egg, right? Did these guys plan to build this thing before this thing went completely parabolic or did it go parabolic? And it's like, shit, what can we We build? Who can we work with? How can we spend 500 million bucks and keep like bringing money into the ecosystem and, just as a function of how much money's come into the system, it's like your plans just automatically get, get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the price of the assets go up, like the expectations of the people who hold them are like, this thing that you're building is going to be the greatest experience to ever happen on a computer screen, right? That's the level of expectation you start to uh, seed. <laughs> and I think some of those threads are really interesting. It's like, you want to, people don't realize how difficult it is to develop like a triple a game with like, you know, even studios that have 20, 30 year veterans of the craft have like bomb, like release shit that just completely bombs. Right. And in the same way, um, the game market is kind of cornered by a few players, the Fortnites, the Robloxes, and the, I forget the, the top few lists, but like the network effect of those things is 
so incredibly powerful. And to me, the game in in the NFT world is the like financialization and the market component of it, right? That's like the most entertaining part of the game is like the assets changing hands right now. And to like make something more compelling and adrenaline fueled than that is going to be an amazingly difficult challenge that's, in my opinion. Oh dude, that's such a great point. How can you make a game better than the game of basically the, the capital markets the gambling element? Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the ultimate game, right? And it's like well, you're actually distracting from that by building an environment outside of that. That's so what I he says that- here. Corrupted relationship with the player, right? It's like, how could you possibly enjoy this game as much as the flip? Well, I think that's another thing. It's like that's why that, like specifically like Yuga is just uh, you know, there'll be marketing case studies on this for hundreds of years, probably, like how you've how like it's such a delicate line to walk. Like you continue to like, these are all semantics that we've like become accustomed to, right? It's like, it's not a video game because it's not like you don't have a boot boot up screen and you're like, you know, in this one game environment. But I would argue that it's already a video game, right? And even every like pre, every like element that they add over time and these different dynamics that they bring in, it's just like, yeah, it might happen across these five or six different platforms, Twitter, Discord, OpenSea, all these like marketplaces, but they're, they're kind of the meme, like participating in the financial component of the meme, that's the game. Mm, yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'm just thinking wow, of the- you've dabbled. Tell us your thoughts. No, no, I, I think it's a great frame on it because if I just think, if you strip down what a game is, again, definitely not a gaming expert, just and from the few games I've played, like you said, there's those elements. And I'm thinking even, I did an interview with a guy called Rahul Vora, who's got a company called Superhuman. And they basically, he's a game designer, that's his background. And now they sell $30 a month email software, right? And everyone's like, why would you pay money for that? But then I, sadly, I still pay $30 a month because it, it works way better for me than everything else. And he explained like the gaming dynamics within even just their software. And this is part great marketing and sales, but also when you think about how they've actually designed it, like keyboard shortcuts, like the speed of things happening, that dopamine when you get the inbox zero, which sounds really sad saying that out loud, but that's kind of how they've designed it. It's a game. It's, It's literally a game when you're doing it. So translating that to NFTs as a specific example, yeah, we're not just in one PlayStation and a TV scenario. But if you think what games have evolved from, they went from, you know, playing on your own against a computer to multiplayer, playing on the internet with a headset on, speaking to friends or speaking to random people. Um, And that's kind of being replaced there, right? We're playing a game on a phone and a laptop with, instead of having a headset on and talking on PlayStation Network or whatever, and like shouting at some random stranger in Brazil uh, for beating me at FIFA, I'm texting my friend or in Discord, listening like, oh, there's a Same new drop thing, coming. Yeah. There's a time constraint. Like there's all uh, these have different things. Have you done things. that? Have you argued with a kid in Brazil? I mean, I'll, I'll definitely not uh, answer to that question, but yeah. <laughs> Yo, dude, I used, to, I used to be sick with Drogba, bro. You get me on oh, this yeah. thing? Oh, Drogba, yeah. that's Did how you, you're aging yourself there, man. <laughs> He's a legend, but even though, uh, yeah. Uh, let's let's move on from the. Oh, hold the on. Chelsea Let me get one last thought. Legend. One last thought. Packy McCormick, our friend, wrote. He called it the yeah. great online game, right? He's like, that's it. What do people at investment banks do? They 
push things on keyboard that change numbers and numbers move up and down. It's like everything you described, right? The discord uh, and slanging NFTs with your buddies or playing games and talking shit to an eight-year-old in Brazil, which is what Bilal used to do. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. Confirm or deny. Not doing <laughs> But yeah, so uh, I definitely agree. The other thing I was going to bring up was something, Jack, I think you've talked about this before, but essentially it's much easier to sell the vision of something in the future and Trung, you've talked about this with Tesla as well and Elon, than delivering on something the market wants. And that's the reason why growth stocks, if we're coming outside of NFTs and crypto, that's why their PE ratios, their price to earning ratios, traditionally are way higher because you're paying for 10 years in the future. And the story of one day, Netflix is gonna be streamed yeah. by everyone in the world. One day, everyone's gonna use cloud computing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like they all obviously had real businesses, real customers and stuff, but the valuation is the second part. Is it a fair valuation? And like we've said on the show many times, the valuation is as fair as the market decides. And when the market changes its mind or people change their mind, the, the price changes. So in this case, yeah, we're gonna come on to a story in a second about Yuga Labs and how their whole thing went down. Um, but I, I bringing it back to the original question about Obama owes the cereals and NFT, to me, it was it's way easier just to say one day we're going to have this cool world with a metaverse and everyone's going to be playing and we're going to have the Soho house in the cloud and it's going to be so cool. And then me and Jack, no disrespect to Board Ape Yacht Club and in NFT NYC, but we go to an event and it's 99% dudes, you know, and it's that's not Soho house, obviously. And, uh, and it's just like, you know, very specific type of person which i love all those people but you know it's very different from cool in air quotes in the real world which is what it's kind of being positioned as and so anyway i think that is a long way of saying there's a lot more to this than just pitching an idea because in the future you eventually have to deliver some of that and when you don't it comes tumbling down a lot of the time um yeah and the, and the longer like the longer you can wait before you make it real whatever that threshold yeah. is that's the, again, that's a game on the other side is like the, no, I'm not talking about the other side. The project yep, is called the, the other side, thing, but that's yeah. quite an apt uh, crossover there. Like the, the gymnastics of maintaining a narrative to like drum up belief to raise the money to build the thing. But we're also like living in a time where like, you can create like these collective hallucinations easier than you've ever been able to before. Right. Like we've, we're, especially in the last two years, like people have piled into like spending time in front of screens and networking exclusively on the internet. And even like doing this podcast, like we was, we started doing this before we met each other six months in, like if you told me three or four years ago, I'd be doing this, but like, there's no chance, right? It's just yeah, like yeah. the, the <laughs> behavior has been so normalized. And there's like, I think you can be really cynical about it and be like, yeah, um, you know, community. I think we talked about this last week, like the, the hijacking of the word community to really be about like people who are purely aligned with like their financial interests. Yeah. Right. Number go up is the name of the community, right? In some cases. And then there's, again, the, the chicken and egg scenario there, whether it's like, is there a community because of that? Or is it the number going up because of the community? And yeah. in a lot of cases, probably 
previous or maybe a mix of the two. It's not like, not something that words are really uh, adequate to explain. They're like social phenomenons that you just sort of, I don't know, you, you could, you, I guess you know it when you're experiencing it and then people on the outside of it just think it's completely absurd Complete and ridiculous. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, honestly, I've been surprised by the, um, like how strong this stuff has, hold, has held up given the like macro conditions. I'm sure a lot of other people are in that, in that place too, but it's like, it is an alternate reality. Like we, every day we get closer to be able to be able to live in a like legitimate alternate reality. Like you can live in a place where you have 99% of your social interaction through a computer screen, like it doesn't matter where you are geographically even like getting stuff delivered to your house. Like you don't even need to go anywhere. Technology is like this weird thing to augment your existence in very strange ways. So yeah, um, I think it can obviously can be uh, a great thing and it can also be like, it's like a byproduct of some of the uh, shortcomings of our physical reality too, right? It's like it pops, you try like it's a, response to something that people are obviously lacking in, in other areas of their life. Not, not to say that's good or bad. It's just like rushing into a, a void that obviously exists. That's why this thing yeah. continues to run like it does. Completely. I, I'm just going to add one more thing. Uh, Trunk, you might have a thought, but can I just add one thing on oh, a I parallel? Got no thoughts. I know oh, we okay, want to talk cool. about you guys after a go nuts. Man. Yeah, yeah, we will. Yeah, the one parallel I wanted to bring up, we talked about how much of a, how different is this where people can essentially raise the equivalent of a seed round or way more. This is 70 million is not a seed round. That's a, that's a, you know, series A, series B. I don't even know the, the amounts nowadays because uh, they keep changing, but it's a huge amount of money, right? And even like, uh, I mean, I know people who literally have an email newsletter, which 99.99% of the world doesn't know who they are. And they raise a million dollars doing a random yeah. NFT project. And they're, but they're actually using it to like they're like hiring people they're trying to actually create something and that was a way for people to buy into the community or buy into like you know a, a brand their brand right so i'm not like against anyone trying that out i think it's cool for people to try it out if they kind of know what they're doing or at least they are, are transparent about what it means and they're not necessarily promising the world and it's not only based on you know um in my opinion anyway the nft projects which are only based on like this future vision or on the flip side if it's only based on people making money that is also dangerous in itself as well because they they both have their own flaws i think someone who does have something to say i'm going to do something long term with this i'm going to be around i'm going to keep creating like for example in, in my newsletter if you're going to keep writing that forever and or for the next five years and by buying an nft it's going to give you access to that uh you know the same way a patreon paying in dollars would have but you're you're kind of creating a new economic model for that i think that's interesting uh, now the the thing i want to bring up was vc backed companies like the, we're talking about Airbnb. What does it take for Airbnb to exist? It took, you know, very smart founders, initial money, early customers, and then those rounds after that where they hired more people, figured out a problem, improved the product, then got the next million people in, next 10 million people in, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think for sure if they had that liquidity from day one where they could have pumped 
their bag, sold it, and then, you know, retired. I, I don't think they would have done that. At the same time, to be honest about, like there's a lot of founders who in, in the Silicon Valley mold made 99% of their net worth by playing the VC game, yeah. had, a, had a company that went to zero and they still managed to kind of make a decent amount from secondary. And uh, I'm not gonna say any names, but certain people who name I know him, who- Name and Bilal. No, 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 <laughs> but I mean, no, no, no. Where like they, they made way more money from you know investing that and then their friends' startups and then they made zero from their startups themselves. Again, that doesn't, I'm not taking anything away from them. Like that is still a skill in itself and they put themselves in that position. But the cynical side would say, well, that was its own Ponzi scheme. Right? Well, Ponzi may be a strong word, but that was its own pyramid right. where all the, again, breaking it down instead of using those loaded words, it's about the incentive. There, are, I see companies every week doing this where I'm seeing the product. I'm even seeing the numbers if I work with some of these people. And I'm like, how are these guys raising at the next round? And the reason is because they've got amazing investors on the first round. And those people then go pump the bags to their other friends and say, hey, we're a great VC brand. We've got all these returns. Why don't you come and join us in this charade? You know, and now charade. it's starting. Yeah, and it's basically coming home to roost now because the, those those valuations, <laughs> valuations are yeah, going to be down, down rounds now, right? Because they're, they're not raising at the same amounts before as they were before. So they're still probably going to be fine. And I'm not saying they were necessarily trying to like scam the world, but I, I do see people in the traditional kind of startup world look at the crypto world and say, oh, everyone's just there trying to pump their Charade. bags. The Charade. truth is Same bollocks. everyone's trying to pump their bags. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so what are we talking about? What? Editor, cut the clip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you see me on the news. Uh, Bilal's <laughs> caught pumping his own bags. But yeah, so yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was that was just kind of my thoughts on it. Like the, the, the only thing, the last thing to mention there is if you've got something that's liquid and you're getting instant feedback, like you're saying, it no longer becomes about just convincing 10 partners at VC firms that your company is still going in the right direction. It's thousands or tens of thousands of people. The same way when you go public, you've got millions of people on your back and you've got to share your earnings every quarter. And so, yeah, that's kind of how um, I'm feeling about it. It probably kind of brings us on to the next topic in a second, but let me throw it over to you guys in case you had any other thoughts. I think we should tee up Yuga because we've been dancing around this. So whoever's got yeah, the yeah. deets, drop it. All right. J Jack, anything else before we do that? It's going uh, to be I think related. the next part is, is uh, it's related, we'll right? round it off, yeah. Cool. So let's break it down. I'm going to tee you up, Jack, because you, uh, uh, you know a bit more than I do about this. But the summary I'm reading here, again, source is Mooncat. <laughs> three seven two five or something yeah. like that so uh, a very valid source here um, well, we always hit them up always hit mooncat yeah yuga labs who are the owners of you know board ape yacht club and um also now on the rights to crypto punks they had a a launch recently and essentially yeah. the headline is there was over 100 million dollars worth of uh dollars or if lost in gas fees um, and they essentially were kind of like pointing the fingers at Ethereum. What were breaking. they selling? What were they selling? Jack, what were they selling? Was it the uh, Vir plots of virtual land? Yeah, for a metaverse called the other side. Okay. Okay, there we go. So, and they also launched something called ApeCoin, right? And this has been happening. Yeah, this was a couple. A of, I don't know if we yeah. covered that or not, but they yeah, they did. launched an ApeCoin. Uh, that's got to be six weeks ago or something now, and they rewarded. 
um, a lot of the, well, everyone in the ecosystem that was holding the assets was airdropped ApeCoin. And then this, this uh, mint of the land was sold exclusively in ApeCoin. So putting there volume through that. And, and I, did, I just did want to bring up while we're talking about it, this is a, a, an amazing tweet that Jack shared with us in the group chat. Uh, one second here. Um, can you guys see my screen here? <laughs> <laughs> it basically says, my brother is about to learn a very valuable lesson about <laughs> NFTs because his brother Mike texted him, said, my transaction failed. When do I get my money back? And for anyone who's, who's uh, not been playing around in MetaMask and, and doing the crypto world, you know that money is not coming back. So yeah, that well, is- you know what though? I think uh, after all the outcry, I think um, Yuga Labs is issuing some refunds. Oh, oh nice. Okay, well, so that may, be, that may be total speculation from yeah, me, yeah, but let's, I let's did read that, that somewhere. Let me let um, me get some numbers on the uh, the nitty gritty because I, I pulled it up here. So each plot cost a buyer around fifty eight hundred dollar based on ApeCoin's Saturday price. So the transaction cost to mint other deed NFTs. So this is the other side, uh, which is what Jack uh, talked about the project. So it cost 123 mil. So <laughs> people would be getting pieces of land, which what was worth what? Maybe a couple hundred and they maybe a couple thousand, but they're well, they cost. I think they cost, it was like 305 ape which i guess is about six grand okay so they're paying about that in gas fees right they paid so yeah a lot of people are paying two ethereum three ethereum in gas to claim these are existing okay. holders because the network was so congested when the mint went live and i'm going to mess up the details of this but they made a big statement about how they'd structured it to avoid gas fees at scale like exorbitant gas fees and that obviously was not the case when the network was actually under the load that they, you know. They put it they on. Say, yeah, they put it on, but it's also like an interesting, uh, you know, debate whether like Ethereum, you know, these assets, I think this is a whole other discussion that we have where like Ethereum block space or like transacting on the Ethereum network is like if people are prepared to pay that, that's the market telling you what you need to know, right? About um, someone made this comparison the other day and said, if Ethereum was a product and, you know, Warren Buffett's criticism of a, like a cash flowing product, people spent a hundred million dollars to use it last night. Yeah. It's yeah. no different than, you know, any other cash flowing business in a lot of ways. It's like, it's delivering that value to the, you know, the people that are maintaining the network. Anyway, there was a lot of like talk about the contract not being optimized to reduce gas fees. And then Vitalik actually got involved in that conversation. I think he said that wouldn't have made that much difference. It's just purely like this, you know, this is like a use case for something that was never envisioned when the thing was built. Right. It's like a really, uh, so yeah, when you say the thing, you mean when Ethereum was built or I when mean, Ethereum, Ape right? Coin, yeah. I'm sure Vitalik and company were not sitting there going, oh, we, we got to optimize no, they, this for people buying. They specifically did not. They did not. It was not in yeah, the yeah. white paper. Yeah. Buying, <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't have a buy it, flipping no, like, monkey GIFs. Well, yeah. I said, well, guys, we'll, we can chat about this shortly after because I interviewed the founder, one of the founders of CryptoKitties last week, Arthur Cameron. He's the head oh, of part of NBA Top the Shop. Dapper, 
Dapper well, we can Labs talk guy. about this, right? Because he was talking about like we'll we'll discuss the Dapper Labs thing, but he also discusses this. It's like NFTs were not a use case, right? It's like to Jack's point, it's like this was not envisioned. But uh, I think uh, Jack, this is another thread you sent, but it looked like there were very simple uh, uh, ERC seven twenty one, which is a non fungible token standard uh, moves that they could have done to save money. But it sounds like Vitalik said, ah, maybe not. Ish. Yeah, a- yeah. And so wait, I think like, that's as the an example, thing. so could I start, cause I, I read people were saying you could have pre like whitelisted people essentially or something like that. So they're in the contract. So when they're going to like mint something, there's, there's less battling for space exactly, because they're exactly. just, it's just approving an existing like, exactly, commitment. Yeah, which again, I just read that on the internet. So this could be all vibes, <laughs> no facts, but no, that, I think that, uh, that, that sounds you know, about right. Another thing is like, they, they did a, they did a KYC thing for a bunch that of people. Like yeah. you had to be KYC to make a claim. And, um, our friend six, five, two, nine did a big breakdown of the, uh, the terms and conditions of the mint in the, um, in the, like you KYC, these assets are protected by like Hong Kong law. You don't own this thing. Again, I'm, I'm like not, I'm not using the words that are actually written. Not in legal the advice. Thread. This is not legal advice. Exactly. But go and read 6529's breakdown of the, um, the specificity in the terms and conditions of the other side mint. And this is another big philosophical discussion around like, you know, these things that begin as or begin by using the narrative of decentralization and owning your digital property, things of that nature. And when they get to a certain level of um, success, you know, Andreessen Horowitz owns a good chunk of it. Like they have to draft up way more sophisticated legal agreements. They're doing partnerships with companies that have like, shareholders that are, you know, bound by certain laws. So it kind of drifts away from the ideology that I think catapulted it to the thing it was before it is now. So it's like, uh, it's a really, like, it's really fascinating psychologically to watch it play out because, you know, when you've got a couple million bucks riding on this ecosystem, your Billion, opinions that you voice billion bucks billions i'm talking about individuals oh, i'm per, talking about yeah, people yeah, on twitter, yeah, yeah. like per yeah, twitter yeah. account like the way people will talk and and uh like the amount of conflict that erupted in the wake of uh that mint on saturday was kind of fascinating to watch out it's just tribalism in a different uh in a different context, right? It's, this is Democrats and Republicans on the on chain. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. This was uh, who's who's presenting this? this is, is this Trunk? This is you. Yeah, Bilal. You sent us this tweet. Yeah, from Kobe, I was looking the for that actually. This okay. is hilarious. Why don't Do you, you read, read it out? out at, no, go ahead. All right. Kobe tweeted this: uh, ApeCoin should legitimately swap from being ERC twenty token to being an ETH fork with rails off, like OG BNB, which is Binance. Is that? Binance Network, something? Binance Boxer, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Their community is too powerful. They can clone Maker, Aave, Uniswap, ApeDollar, Arpay, ApeSwap, etc. 
pay gas fees in ape ape fi will defeat DeFi if they take this strategic step all right so oh, is he, wait, first of all is he being a kind of no, facetious no. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i think he's being facetious no, okay. yeah for sure <laughs> because ApeCoin, because they did talk about it in the statement right because uh jack mentioned the ApeCoin put a statement uh some people thought they were signing blame to ethereum but they did actually say like we might have to create our own kind of network yeah uh, i saw that they were and actually this one came to mind this was from our boy tom osman he uh <laughs> if you guys can see my screen here as well uh, it was yeah. uh, a picture of yuga shooting 160 million dollars and then turning around saying why would ethereum do this i thought <laughs> i was pretty jokes <laughs> wait hold on as we're, we're at the point i think this is so as with everything this is the we call it the balal zadi standard is like why couldn't non-crypto take care of this right so um, Aaron Levy, the CEO of Box, who is a very uh, tasteful critic of Web3, most of the leaders of Web3 engage with him, right? He's uh, So Aaron Levy was basically saying that, well, you know what, man? This, uh, this problem that we're having with uh, Ethereum and these projects, uh, the main difference is you cannot control the behavior of the individuals, right? So they had 55,000 pieces NFT, and then you had all these people rushing in, right? And his point was, I think the number was crazy. It was like AWS handles like this type of volume like 50 times on the regular, right? And nothing happened. And Aaron Levy's point is like, you know, you can architect in Web 2, something like this without it falling uh, or, or crashing. And he says, just because... Uh, you're getting this rush of activity for individuals that you can't control. It's like, yeah, that, that that's separate from the fact that the architecture of it just cannot handle it, right? And um, At the moment, and you could say yeah. that would change potentially, but yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very fair criticism. And I, and I agree that question, like you said, is does it need to be crypto? Uh, yeah, in terms of you could create an app that sells X amount of virtual whatever to people but would this thing whole thing exist if there was no crypto for sure it wouldn't right because being driven by that market um and I, again the second layer to that question is how important is decentralization and owning your own keys in that scenario so what he he mentioned there is we can't do this because people own their own keys which uh, you know essentially you that's exactly the promise of what we, what people are creating here and if this was something that wasn't just a monkey a picture of a monkey or you know a virtual plot of land or whatever it was something more meaningful that actually might be there in the future you might argue whoa, that, whoa, whoa, that whoa. It, meaningful but blow this is a subjective <laughs> call here right yeah that's I true i was muted there but you would have heard an outrage on my side <laughs> over Wait, what? so I, I mean, meant like a housing deed or something very whoa, boring like whoa, that whoa, you know whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. okay wait actually jack so last week we never had a chance to talk about it, but Blau brought up it. So Jack, you made your first mortgage payment recently. I did, right? boys. There yeah. we go. No, listen, you've had Congrats. your foot. Yeah, congratulations. Or I'm sorry, uh, I don't yeah. know which one. Both. Yeah. I'll take both. <laughs> uh, but you've had your foot in both camps. Uh, you have uh, been a board ape previously, uh, quite uh, active in that community, and now you are a owner of a home, a real deed, if you will. So talk us through the the value calculations of owning bricks versus the clicks well you know why i actually originally wanted to talk about this was how difficult it was to pay the uh mortgage so because mm. um because of the unique situation i find myself in the nature of my <laughs> income and my uh employment situation not 
you're not getting a mortgage from Wells Fargo, right? It's uh, you're getting it's from being, Jim in the alley behind Seven <laughs> Eleven. It's being farmed out to more uh, risk tolerant niche capital <laughs> allocators, shall we say? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Who don't tend to have the most sophisticated infrastructure, right? So I was just te- I was telling um, Bilal the other day. I was like. You get you just get like forty letters in the post. They're obviously just you know automated. Nobody's like really checked on what's going on. I don't know what infrastructure is sending these things out. I'm trying to call people. I'm ringing the numbers on the let. No answer. Like can't get hold of anybody. And then I, uh, I exchange a few emails. It's like oh yeah, just send it to this. I like, what's the account number? Is there is no account number? Just send the routing number. I was like, is that is that going to work? And then go to my my normal bank, I can own, like, you can't do a domestic wire from the bank that I just got switched to. You have to, like, send it, like, you have to send them the details and they'll physically send a Fax check. Fax it over. It's just insane, man. And then, like, all this to say, like, the juxtaposition of, like, transacting in crypto for such a long time, what, relative to the existence of crypto, I mean, not, like, not a long time, but um, it's just so different. Like, I had to call my bank and say, hey, these guys are telling me that they didn't receive the money and they're like, no, here's a 49 digit number that you can give them that they can take to, you know, the clearing house and check with them if the versus like, Hey, here's a like check mark where the network proves that this money moved from here to here and we can both see it instantly. So outside Sovereign of you know, money there, Jack, there you exactly go. <laughs> outside of speculating on JPEGs or whatever else, like the real value proposition of crypto in my mind is yeah. Instant. Custody, custody of your capital and the ability to move it and see that it moved and have no trusted third party in the middle of that transaction for nine hours on the phone and me wasting my time. So, uh, <laughs> Amen it's creating a billion dollar block of energy in space that can move at the speed of light. You this missed is what- cyber hornets. Yeah. <laughs> With cyber hornets. So well, the irony of it is I'm talking about stable coins on Ethereum there. Yeah. True. Yeah, but, That's but, true. You know, in time, in time, we'll get there. The, but that, um, that juxtaposition is kind of, fascinating is like there's so much like anarchy and like madness and stuff that like the the you know the person who typically pays a mortgage today would have no interest in being exposed to or learning about or anything else versus the experience of paying a bill or like settling a transaction instantly and knowing it's there and uh there's just no need for the trillions of layers of complexity yeah. i mean not even you saying there's a, a need bit. like this is accident of history type situation right it's it's just infrastructure that's decades old and nobody's like has malicious intent but maybe there are fewer incentives to tidy up because if you're an administrator whose job is to you know move this piece of paper from this side of the desk to that side of the desk in 10 hours you're not in a hurry to wipe yourself out you know what i mean yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a way and that's to put true. it. And like, um, like America, I think is uniquely buggered in that regard. Like, think about like medicine as well. It's just, it's a disgrace. 
Yeah. But, uh, topic for another day, boys. Yeah, that's true. No, no, that makes sense. I will say on the flip side, Venmo works pretty well. Peer-to-peer centralized network that like just to keep it real from the, the other side, that obviously on the back end, it's all being processed in kind of like a similarly old way. And uh, yeah, I'm still, yeah, see the value in what we're talking about here, but. Um, I couldn't pay my mortgage with Venmo, Bilal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, if, yeah, if, I, I recently if got wants paid to build in a, the Venmo mortgages. I support it for sure. Yeah, yeah for real. Someone uh, I had to send an invoice to someone in another country, and they were sending me a wire transfer, and it was I basically had to send account like you know Dude, bank deals where, and I'm like, is this safe for me to be sending? They need the bank deals, which I think are also just not safe to share. Whereas in the UK, it's quite normal to share. Like uh, right. like account number, sort code or whatever with friends where we're sending stuff, but especially 10 years ago when I lived there. Uh, whereas here, I'm pretty sure that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. So I might that's have uh, the messed something kingdom, up there. Right? That's, 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 that's basically the private key under the kettlebell yeah. is uh, just well, being, remember, being I remember the first time I came to the States using a credit card. Do you remember that, Bilal? We just yeah, give well, them the well, card. Oh, they just put like, it yeah, behind the bar? They just give it back, yeah. no, just give it back to you. So, like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, here you go. Yeah, done. Off you go. Even in the supermarket. No pin oh. number, nothing. Just oh, a little yeah, yeah, Mickey yeah. Mouse oh, yeah. pin number. That's what you mean. It took it forever to get the pin, uh, the security thing. It yeah, just even now you don't. Re- even now they've got the pin, but they don't make you type in a number. It's just That's like true. you just sign. So I sign Mickey Mouse all the time. It doesn't even just to see if anyone's reading it or Kendrick <laughs> yeah. Lamar, J Cole. You know, just yeah. see see if they think I'm famous. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, the other thing that was for me is um, people taking it behind the bar and leaving it all night. Oh yeah knowing like not to you know go too far down the rabbit hole like in the uk i've watched a few vice documentaries on what people do and it's like just leaving your card with someone unsupervised is the worst oh, thing you they, can be doing they can, if steal, someone, the, they can steal the information yeah, put it through a maintenance so well i uh i knew someone this is a totally i knew someone don't try to a friend to a friend but man <laughs> like back in the early 2000s you could literally get Stolen easily, steal a credit card, just leave it right. You go to a club and you just tip, hey, open a tab. That's it. Zero security. So, the one thing I will say about the old banking industry, Jack's like, you know, all these layers, these trillions of layers. And I think a bit of it is Fiat a fan coming through. Yeah, Fiat. a bit of it. Defending, defending the rent seekers. Yeah, yeah. It's go, a little... go off. <laughs> rent seekers. <laughs> I love the use of the word it's, rent seeker. It's a feature rider problem. Okay, so instead of like, you know, whatever, you don't need a thousand layers, right? You might need 50 layers or 10 layers. You need something. But let me let me bring up this uh, slide quickly. So this is your boy, Trunk T Fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there it I is, I thought boys. you had a sleeveless hoodie there, but it's a half. Is that a hoodie, though? Oh, yeah, it's a sleeveless hoodie, boys. Here? Sleeveless hoodie, boys. Killing it. So, uh, this is uh, Casey Lau. Uh, he's a host at Collision, uh, uh, a big conference in Toronto. Huge conference. I had no idea, actually, until he told me about it. Uh, great it's dude. It's the same people as Web Summit, right? I believe so. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, They're the, Irish originally, my boy. No, exactly. Yes, they are. Yeah, Irish. Dara and Paddy. So do you know them? I know Dara really well. Paddy oh, is the original guy. But yeah, well, yeah. Let they, him know they've that, killed uh, it across the world. I was crushing with Casey. And uh, uh, this is uh, Arthur uh, Cameron. He was a uh, camera, sorry uh, for pronouncing the last name wrong there. He's the head of product, the NBA Top Shot, one of the co-founders of CryptoKitties. So he's an OG. Uh, uh, and we got up there and this is a Sunil. He's at 500 Startups. Uh, he also is a host at uh, Collision. But uh, well, first of all, 
special shout out to three NIA listeners that were nice enough to approach me during the talk. Yeah, so we Matt, saw some pictures. Yeah, yeah we saw legends. the picture. Mass, Jordan, and Peter. Thank you for coming to the talk. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, an hour and 20 minutes in, really appreciate you guys uh, coming to say hi. And uh, the only thing I'll add here, we can probably talk about a bit more because it's a long talk, but Arthur was talking about CryptoKitties early days. They also jammed the, the network, right? In 2017, mm, yeah. when CryptoKitties came out. And that's why they built Flow with Dapper Labs. It's uh, as our old friend Packy wrote uh, in a 65,000 word story about Flow. Uh, he said, uh, you know, there's a trilemma with blockchains. It's a scale, security, and decentralization. And Flow's whole, and Dapper Labs' whole philosophy is this progressive decentralization. So they start quite, uh, not necessarily centralized, but they're willing to make the trade-off uh, just to get things off the ground. And clearly, uh, as I argued in our talk, other than Satoshi and Vitalik, you can make a pretty credible argument that between CryptoKitties and NBA Top Shot, Dapper Lab has uh, brought on more people into the crypto ecosystem than uh, Vitalik and Satoshi. So they're number That's three. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty well, a pretty valid argument, right? Maybe the open How many guys. of them stayed? Yeah. That's <laughs> well, retention well, the, uh, there is little. Uh, original OG from the crypto communities, uh, crypto kitties communities were they, they ended up launching Axie and uh, OpenSea. So yeah, that's big. Kind of this period, but uh, yeah, I, we uh, we talk more about that after. But I just want to give a shout out to again, Mass Jordan and Peter. Yeah, respect. But um, how yeah, was the that, talk, mate? Smashed it was it? good, man. I, dude, I'll, I'll tell you something. You guys will have a laugh. I brought my parents. Uh, because love it. Listen, people need to understand, and I, I, some people are confused, like you know, joking about it. Listen, the older you get, man, there's a, I'm 37. I'm not gonna have many more opportunities to hang with my parents. I can make an argument that might be the last time they ever see me speak in public. If you consider the fact that I've spoken in public once in the past like six or seven years, so like I'm like bringing my parents, gonna have some free alcohol, gonna get some free food. They're gonna That's see their dope, boy man. chopping it up. So they it was must great, have been man. proud. Was your dad uh, giving some some feedback straight after? Well, I'll tell you about my old man, <laughs> Dr. Cat Fan. Uh, this might be similar to some of your parents, but do you ever go to the theater or have you ever been to the theater with your parents and they start sleeping in the back? That's my dad. He's one of those guys. <laughs> like full on dead ass Uncle Fan in there. Two minutes into the film, full on snoring. Like the dude, you know when the older people can sleep anywhere? Like my dad's like that. I'm just like, dad. You're sitting in like the second to front row. You cannot start snoring, bro. So I told my mom, like, get the elbows ready. Get one of these ready, right? <laughs> but uh, no, it's fun, but it's fun. Uh, next year, hopefully I'll go to Toronto, which is the main event. Uh, as Bilal knows, these things are huge. They get like 40, 50,000 in Lisbon. They get 40, 50, Yeah, man, that's should... the website one. It's yeah, huge. We should this? definitely do it. We Why should, don't uh, we speak do it them? as NIA next year? That's Let's true. They want it. We might even do yeah, it this year. It. It's yeah. only May. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, guys, we're doing it. All right. That's it for me on this let's part. Let's do it. If you if you run an event and you want to uh, get Trung there and his parents fly him out, yeah. Just uh, you know where to holler at him. So uh, he's this that you taking it all serious there. But no, all jokes aside, that's that's cool, man. I, I completely agree. It is uh, nice to be able to share that with the parents because especially when you get older and you like live away, like you live kind of close to them, I assume, if you're in I Vancouver. I do now, but I was now, gone But you're for away for many years. So yeah. now you appreciate it, I'm sure, even more. Uh, yeah, I'm literally going in a few days to see my parents yeah, for the bro. second time in two and a half years since... Uh, Jack just saw his parents. Crazy. Uh, and he watched, they watched a lot of YouTube. So there you One go. One month stay at the Butcher household, yeah, yeah, killing yeah. the game. Um, all right, anyway, so uh, just to reel it back in, boys, I think that was a really good chat on Yuga Labs, 
referenced our boy Mooncat as always. And then I will say, I'll, tr- I'll share this in the show notes. Yuga Labs did do kind of a their own thread. I think one of us mentioned it already. Um, if you just go on at Yuga Labs, you'll see it as well. But they basically gave their point of view, which I think is fair to share as well, because we don't know the exact truth here. That is when they talked about you know, we're sorry for turning off the lights on Ethereum for a while. We think that we're going to have to create our own chain, that sort of stuff, which Kobe was referencing in his kind of shit post earlier. So, uh, yeah, King. I think King. worth worth um, checking out as well. Anything else on, on that, boys, before we wrap it up? I got nothing else, boys. I, I, let's, let's not even do the methane thing. Yeah, uh, I think we can leave that maybe for next time or something because I think we uh, we went deep on this one. Um, all right, cool. Let's call it then. And thanks again for being here. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. And we'll see you on the next one. And uh, have a good week. Until then. Yeah, happy May the 4th. Peace. Oh, actually, last thing I will say, Eid Mubarak to the people celebrating this week. It was... Uh, Eid yesterday so by the time this comes out two days ago or I don't know if you guys know this but in the Muslim world Eid is on several different days because people arguing which day it is it's a long I was unaware. people following the lunar calendar so maybe there's a fun fact fan coming one day on no that's your fun fact that's my fun fact fan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an ongoing joke you'll get messages on whatsapp from people and then people like no 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 there's a place in in london called leebridge road mosque where i grew up and that was always the outlier uh, mosque where they would call it two days later just to mess with people but anyway yeah Eid Mubarak is basically like Christmas for, for Muslim people so end of Ramadan hope you're enjoying the food for the three people listening to this that are celebrating and we appreciate you guys more, man. There's more. There's it might more. be we might be getting there um, anyway thanks again for being here and we will see you next week cheers thank you boys